The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of Kevin Jordan or his guests. These gardening tips and suggestions may work for you, as well as those from alternative sources. When using any garden products or tools, read and follow all label directions. And learn how to make your yard summer strong at BeWaterSmart.info. The Green Acres Garden Podcast is the podcast dedicated to helping gardeners hone their growing skills while we celebrate our love of plants. So whether you're new to growing or a seasoned gardener, you're sure to learn something new. Join the fun as we have conversations with world-class growers, passionate green thumbs, and professional garden experts from Green Acres Nursery and Supply. Listen every week. We'll answer questions you didn't know you had. Well, all right, all right. Welcome, one and all. So glad everybody could make it. Welcome to the show. This is the Green Acres Garden Podcast. I'm your happy host who loves to compost, Kevin Jordan, the Acer Chaser. This week, we're talking all things Japanese maples, one of my favorite categories of trees. They're so beautiful. Um, when I think of them, I, I think of their form, their elegance, their beauty, uh, the, the peace they bring, the structure uh, of their growth. They are unrivaled in their beauty, and they don't even have a big, beautiful blossom. It's all in those leaves, those branches. Uh, they are one of the most elegant trees I think you're going to find out in any landscape. And I think that we're going we're gonna to dispel some myths this week because Japanese maples are a whole heck of a lot easier to take care of and cultivate than you just might think. And we're going to talk with some special guests. But before we do, let me check in with my good bud on the microphone, Austin, the blood good blank. How's it going there, Austin? <laughs> hey, Kevin, I'm doing great. And thank you for the, that's a new nickname. I haven't heard that one Oh, yet. yeah, you're blood good. <laughs> that's, is that a type of maple? Oh, you know, and they're beautiful. So if you're looking for a tree that doesn't get super large, and actually contains beautiful form, um, an air of elegance. I mean, beauty beyond all belief. They don't even really have blossoms that are showstoppers, and they're not known for that. It's the structure. It's the beautiful leaf color, not just in summer, but also in fall. They get this great color change. Um, but just the structure of them. Some of them have different colored barks. So I think this is a great episode for for any gardener out there who's looking to kind of spice up their garden or their landscape, um, whether it's in a container or in the ground. Japanese maples are an excellent choice. Now, I know we just came off what seems like the surface of the sun this last summer, Austin. <laughs> it was hot. Uh, and Japanese maples, as you're going to find in this episode, they do prefer a little bit of shade or dappled light. There are some that can handle quite a bit more. It's really going to depend on where you live and how hot it's going to get. But don't be alarmed because this is one of the easiest trees really to take care of once it gets established from, from pruning and maintenance, very low maintenance, uh, low pruning requirements. And we're going to get all into that. And I think we have some special guests yes. that we're going to touch yeah. base with. Well, this is a majestic tree, the Japanese maple. Oh, and, beautiful. Yep. And now that we've been talking about it basically all week, because we've done a couple interviews now, I have been spotting them everywhere. And I'm taking great joy in going up and inspecting the Japanese maples I'm finding. And I've been learning all week about all the different varieties. There's different kinds of them that I didn't There's know so about. Many. And there's just so much in this topic. It's so exciting. So what I did is I, I went off on a little adventure of my own. And Austin I went, on the street. Yeah, I went and found, uh, I went and talked to my friends, Irene and Richard Yang, who recently traveled to Japan. And they give us a little bit of insight on the trees that they saw there and a little bit of their, uh, a couple tips for growing them at home because they have some experience doing that. So cool. Yeah. So let's go ahead and check in with Richard and Irene. Here we go. Family, I've known you my whole life. Yes, I've known you forever. Irene Yang. You just went to Japan? 
We okay. did. We just returned from Japan a week ago. Did you see any when you were in Japan? Everywhere. Richard Yang. Everywhere. It was a common. Tr- it was a common tree everywhere, from the imperial grounds to this museum we went to on a mountainside in Kyoto. It was everywhere. You know, we went to a couple of temples, and I said, to "Irene, I said, you know, you got look at these maples. None of the leaves are burnt. They're all green. It's lush. It's like a carpet, and the colors are just beginning to just turn a little bit. And we could imagine what some of these valleys or some of these groves of trees." Would look like when they change color. Sure. I think we're zone nine. I don't know what Japan is, but it was hot and it was humid. Mm. The temperature was probably like in the mid to high 80s, but the humidity was also mid to high 80s. So I think the moisture, I think that keeps a lot of the leaves kind of green. I don't think it's so much of an exotic, quote unquote, plant for, there. For them. <laughs> I think it's kind of more common than not. We saw so many, every temple, every shrine. Uh, a lot of the houses uh, along the uh, suburbs, there were, there were uh, Japanese maples. Uh, not so many the lace leaf. The lace leaves were more, they're more delicate. So, but definitely. Um, yeah, the leaves are more green, huh? It wasn't the red leaf ones, or just kind of the well, common green, I guess. If and you the maples, um, the Japanese like, uh, there's one that has the red bark. And so when the leaves fall, you know, it's seasonal. So they see the beauty with the leaves on in the springtime when it blooms. And then in the fall when you get the color and you see the uh, seasons change. It's a significant um, reminder of, of the seasons and that uh, and they're very aware of that. And so and then in the winter, uh, some of these trees, the bark is the beauty. It brings out the beauty of the bark. And you notice those things. So yeah, the trees are uh, very important in Japanese culture, I think, because of the uh, significance of uh, the changing of the seasons. And you notice that in the plants, especially in the maples. Do you think that people should grow Japanese maples? Oh, definitely. Why? Just because of the sheer beauty of it. And once it's established, yeah, it, it, it doesn't really require all that much. You just have to um, keep an eye on it, to keep it to make sure it doesn't go out of control. Because like any other any plant, it wants to grow, but you want to control that growth. Every year I just clip off anything that died, the heat killer, or just died naturally. I'll just kind of look at the shape of it, kind of mat. I try to take pictures of it with all the leaves on. The leaves are gone, I kind of figure, okay, which part kind of stuck out? I don't want it to grow over the, the gutters, so I try to clip that one back a little bit. So it's not like a lot of... Yeah, you know. your, your, your hard cuts are going to be when the tree is dormant. And uh, as it grows out in the springtime or in the summer, you'll just do minor clippings just to keep it in check. It really isn't a whole lot. So it's not like it's compact, but it's compact. And it's natural looking, but it's kind of controlled, if that makes any sense. And that's the illusion, I think, of the art of Japanese pruning is you want things to look natural, but it's not, not going wild like some of the trees. It could be kind of zen-like. I mean, it doesn't even have to be in the ground. If you don't go to the- It could be a, potted. It could be a potted plant. You put it in a five-gallon pot, let it kind of grow first year once you get from the nursery. So what you might do is just kind of take good care of it, you know, read up on it, fertilize it, and try to look and see where some rogue 
branches, something kind of grows out, clip a little bit. Maybe you have a glass of wine while you're kind of thinking about where you might want to clip it, right? Kind of relaxes, let that, the busyness of the world just kind of zone out, a little music, a little wine, look at the tree, you know, experience the tree and just kind of go with it. So it could be a really nice specimen. Hmm. Yeah, I thought you should come by our church. We have a courtyard with all the trees in there, the maples, the pines are in there. Along the perimeter, there's some other trees as well. And where's the, what's the name of the church? Sacramento Japanese United Methodist on Franklin Boulevard. We do the Garden Angels Thursday mornings from 7 o'clock to about 10 o'clock. So we're there working, so people want to drop by and say, I heard the podcast, we're more than welcome to Otherwise, the church is open on Sunday. Yeah, church is open on Sunday. Welcoming to everyone. Very good. Okay, so is there anything else we haven't covered that you'd like to share about these trees? Is there anything that comes to mind uh, that makes them special or that you would encourage other people to think about when maybe looking at these trees? I think I mean, said it right where the leaves are just more delicate, softer, versus the maples you see there and the other maple, like uh, the maple syrup kind of trees, the big, beefy leaves. These are more small and kind of delicate. So I think if you have a garden space, it doesn't have to be a whole lot. You need something to kind of anchor it, but you don't want something real massive. The Japanese maple is kind of good because it's just kind of that flowy, delicate look, that pillowy kind of look. It can kind of help balance a small garden space that has a lot of rocks and stuff. It's just a good plant that will give you that aesthetic feel and zen-like feel to kind of balance things out. And the same thing with the lace leaf. Some people oh, may have yes. never heard of it. I didn't know about it. I think I had seen it, but didn't really realize no, what it was. Uh, same thing or any recommendations around it? I think the lace leaf is a little bit, uh, a little more difficult. Uh, it really needs to be in the right location because uh, the leaves burn very easily. And um, it really benefits from an, uh, being under another tree. But uh, again, um, well worth it if you take, give it the extra little care. It's just beautiful. But Auntie Marion, her auntie had one that was uh, in a pot. pot. In probably like a 10 gallon pot in the corner of her front porch with very little sun. And she just watered it, fertilized it regularly. And that tree was beautiful. It just It flows. It, it looks like down. water falling. It's just, it's unlike any other tree. And it's usually very small, not too, not too tall. And uh, just fills a space. It's just incredibly beautiful. Sounds like a winner to me. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is. All right. Well, thank you so much. Talk, to talk to a friend about this is, is huge. So thank you both so much. You're welcome. Do you ever listen to your stuff? My own? Because I can't listen to my voice. It just kind of feels weird. I have to listen to it to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are back from that. Thank you, Irene. Thank you, Richard. Uh, they are so great, and I have known them for such a long time. Very close personal friends. Uh, I'm I'm so thankful that they got to share a little bit and be on the show. That was fun. What did you think? Kevin? I loved it. I feel like I missed out on that interview. They yeah. sound super delightful. It was great to hear about their experience and their knowledge, uh, both on their travels and growing here. I I'm pumped. I, I they seem like awesome people. Yeah, yeah. I was just fascinated by them speaking about a style, a Japanese style of pruning. Now, Kevin, um, 
do you have any insight on that? Like they were kind of talking about the the branches and being sort of just as important as the foliage. I, I 100% agree. And I, I love the, the comments they were making. And it was great to get a firsthand account of somebody who grows them and then got to go see them in their natural environment. Right. Uh, really cool. And so absolutely, when you prune them, you can really shape them up and kind of add and accentuate their beauty. Their leaves are pretty. They're so beautiful. Um, they come, like I said, they come in a wide variety, but when you can prune, it's nice to um, do it in a way that really highlights all the, you know, the structure of the branches. And uh, oftentimes they'll, the trunk will split and become a multi-trunk. And so it's nice as you don't just want a nice big green heavy bush of just leaves because that's, you could have other shrubs for that, but to accentuate the, and balance out that growth and that structure. And so, it, like I said, it really kind of puts a spotlight on the beauty of that plant. And that's really where they shine is the way they grow. And different Japanese maples are going to grow different ways. Mm. So I think you can have fun experimenting with how you prune them. And I think it's one of those things where we've brought up rose pruning and things in the past. Right. Dispelled that myth. Super easy. I would say pruning Japanese, even easier. Even easier. Even easier. Oh, that's great. And so, I mean, what... What should we be thinking about then? Um, is there any special concerns for, for maples? Well, just like they said, you know, prune for structure, beauty, and health. Okay. But it's important that uh, if and you notice... And three Ds too, right, are always important? The disease, dying, and decaying branches? Yeah, absolutely. Same thing goes. Right. Absolutely. But what's nice is if you ever notice any branches that are wilty or looking like they're not super happy, um, it, that might, could be a form of verticillium wilt. And, and so what? Verticillium wilt. <laughs> okay. It's a pathogen that they can get. And so you don't want to spread it around. I, I haven't had it much in my maples, but some people have. And so okay. if you do notice it, not a big deal. It's, it's not going to, you know, it's not super alarming. Just get in there with a clean pair of shears or pruners or loppers. Prune out that damaged branch and just make sure that you sterilize your pruners, shears, or loppers that you use. You can use a, a dilution of bleach and water, maybe like eight to one or nine to one. You can even just, we've seen uh, our, our rosarians just use Lysol right. or, or any other disinfectant. You just spray it over there, all over uh, you know the blades and just clean them up. So that way you're not spreading the, the pathogens from plant to plant or branch to branch. Because verticillium stays on the pruners. It, it could, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so you want to just sterilize it, clean it, just like if you were performing surgery. Okay. Like a, like well, a, that's like what a you're tree doing. surgeon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And so it's, it's easy to do and it's just best practice and just will, will keep you, give you a little peace of mind that you're not just spreading around issues if that does come up. But for the most part, thankfully for me, I haven't noticed it and mine. I love growing Japanese maples, and I hope our listeners will give them a shot, yeah, too. Yeah, definitely. I, I love the Richard's approach. He, he likes to, you know, kind of sit and contemplate and look at the tree, let it kind of speak to him. And Drink maybe some wine. <laughs> enjoy a glass of wine. I just love that. That makes it all, you know, even more fun. So uh, big thank you to, to you, too. Thanks for being on the show. Let's go ahead and move forward. We're going to go ahead and jump into our second interview this week uh, with Eric Plog, who was our first guest ever on the show way back when, two years ago. Not only was Eric our first guest on the podcast, but actually Eric is one of the people that got me into the industry, uh, got my foot in the door. My first job at a nursery, Eric hooked me up. Um, I've never had a brother growing up. And so, um, you know, you're always looking for for people to admire, to look up to. Eric didn't even try and already and won me over when I was a young lad. I, was, I loved his knowledge. Um, his passion for plants was, was clear right away. And so, when I got that job, I just listened to him talk to other, other you know, customers and other staff members. So smart, and I love it. Uh, he is my garden sensei. Uh, I, when I saw him, I was like, you know, the Ninja Turtles, they've got their splinter. You know, uh, 
what is it? Luke Skywalker's got Obi Wan. I've got Eric Plog. There we go. So there. So it's great to be <laughs> back with him. He's like I said, he's so bright and he's been in the industry for so long. And I think to some of our listeners, they're going to be impressed that his his job, part of it at least, is to be a professional nursery shopper. Right. So he, he buys all the plants. Yes. So he shops from all the wholesale growers and brings them all in to the actual nurseries to then to be sold to the folks uh, to the likes of people like me. Yeah, it's such an interesting job, and he is so knowledgeable because of it. Oh yeah. And he really offers us uh, some great insight into how to shop for a tree, what you're looking for, the different types that are available, all the varieties, and how to take care of them. He's growing. Uh, he said 15 different maples at his house. So he is the expert. And I'm excited to jump into our interview with Eric Plog so we can learn all about what it takes to grow these very special trees. Here we go. Thank you so much for making time for me. Uh, I love learning from you. It's been a while. Actually, you were one of our first episodes that we did of two years ago. So uh, I'm really excited to have you back on. How are things? I've been good. Been busy. We're just uh, planning up next year's uh, trees as far as... Maples, fruit trees, roses, a lot of uh, processes happen this time of year for next spring, next fall. We're planning ahead 2024, 25 already. For some of our listeners who don't know, uh, can you tell us your position here at Green Acres? Uh, they consider me the lead merchant for green goods. Uh, so it basically entails purchasing uh, pretty much anything living for the nursery. Japanese maples, that's, that's the topic of today's episode, uh, the, those sweet little acers. Now, what sets them apart from other, other trees out in the lot there? Like I said, you're, you're buying and bringing them in, and there's so many different plants out there, but the maples kind of have their own little section, and they are pretty unique. What do you think makes them so wonderful? Uh, I think it's just their overall beauty, shape. Um, they perform well, even in a hot climate. They do, you know, really prefer some afternoon shade to do their best. Uh, but so versatile. You can get some that stay small, three to five feet, on up 10, 12 feet, and on up, you know, as they mature and get older, they grow slower. So you can plant them, you know, close to the house in smaller areas of different, you know, size gardens. They don't need a big space to spread out. Uh, so you can really be versatile with them. Absolutely. They're so beautiful. And without having a very striking or, you know, big blossoms, they really stand out in the landscape. And I think it kind of makes a good contrast to everything else when you have these nice, beautiful burgundy leaves uh, from those, like, the blood goods or some of those red leaf maples. Or even just, to me, even just the basic Acer palmatum. Just, yeah. I, I, even the basic lane. one, I still love it. And they grow kind of quick. Uh, they get a bit bigger than some of the other varieties. I've got one right in the center of my, of my yard at home, and, and I'm loving it right now. And I'm kind of looking forward to maybe some fall color and oh, then yeah. seeing that structure Definitely. in the winter a little bit. Yeah, the fall color on pretty much all of them is pretty spectacular. Um, you know, the leaves themselves, soft, delicate, moving the breeze. And then when they do drop their leaves, you do have an interesting branch structure. Some of them have, you know, colorful bark, different shades on the bark. So coral barks, for instance. That Sangokaku or whatever. Uh, yeah, and there's Love some other one. ones, uh, like this Chindishoho is one that has some red stems. Uh, but I think for this time of year, probably focusing on fall color. And just getting that highlight, that, that burst of color as we go through these cooler nights. When it comes to actually planting, maintaining a, a Japanese maple, when is the best time to actually go out and find one um, in your local nurseries? Uh, right now is ideal. We just got some large shipments in last week, and we'll continue to pull a few more in over the next couple weeks. 
so, you know, like you said, fall is the best time for planting. It's cooling off, the soil's still warm, so you're gonna get some root development before they go completely dormant. And they'll be more geared to taking that spring and summer heat as they wake up next season. Um, you, already, you already got me. I was going to ask you, like, when is the best time? It's right now. You said the soil temps, everything's a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's ideal for planting almost everything. But, uh, you know, with the selection we have now, a uh, pretty good spectrum of varieties. And then you're going to be able to enjoy the fall color if you get them in in the next couple weeks. So I think that's definitely a benefit. Let's imagine for a moment that you're actually going to go out there and shop just for yourself. Uh, you're going to get me the most beautiful Japanese maple. What are you looking for to get the best, healthiest one you can find? Uh, when I first start talking with customers, you know, it's basically, do you want a lace leaf, which is low and weeping, or do you want an upright, more of a small, like, vase-shaped tree? Uh, that's typically where I start, and then I would go, well, do you like the red leaves, or do you like the green leaves? So that kind of gets you going down the right avenue. Um, at, once you make those two decisions pretty clear, you can steer them into three or four varieties that are ideal for what they want. Uh, but that being said, there is so many varieties that, you know, even once you decipher those two categories, there's still tons of choices. I mean, we might have 15 different types of lace leaves at any given time. They're so pretty. Same with the broadleaf uprights. You know, we probably have six to 10 different varieties. Um, so the selection definitely varies by season. I would say fall into like mid-March, mid-April is gonna be like the peak of the selection. That's where we're bringing in most of the varieties that we don't get year round. Um, so you'll find a little more unique, a little broader spectrum, a little bigger breath uh, product uh, from now until say April. So okay. I think that's ideal for choosing you know, more unique ones. If you're somebody who already has five, 10, 20 different maples, you know, now it's gonna be- I've got a few, but time. I don't have that many. I yeah. gotta up my game. I mean, it'll come with time. Uh, yeah, I've only got three. I want more though. Yeah, I probably have or at least 15. Wow, but, yeah. how are they looking? Oh, uh, they took a little stress over the summer, but you know, it's it's normal. Yeah. I do all mine in containers, so. Can you put them in, can you put them in containers? If so, Certainly. how big, you know, what soil are you using? What what size is the minimum size you're gonna go with? Uh, it just depends on the, the tree and the variety you pick overall and the size of pot that you start with. So obviously the bigger the pot you buy, the bigger the pot you need right away. Uh, most of them would be fine in, say, like a 30-gallon, like a wine barrel size, you know, oh, yeah. pretty much their whole life. I know one of mine's, gosh, it's probably pushing 18, 20 years, and it's still in a wine barrel. Wow. And, you know, it's over the eve of my house. And it's probably rooted through the bottom of that wine barrel. Oh, no, it's, no. It's not? No. Because I have one in my house it's, uh, <laughs> that I cut it when I bought the home, and now I'm taking care of it. It's in a wine barrel, but that, that bottom is gone. <laughs> it, is, it is gone, it is gone, yeah, there's, gone. There's a few steps with maintenance over the years if you continue to grow them in containers. Uh, I would say every third year, you'd wanna pull it out in the winter, uh, wash some of the soil away, trim a few roots. You can get it back in the same container if it's still viable and just you know refresh the potting soil around it. Um, that can be done. Um, otherwise, transferring them into larger pots every few years is ideal. Personally, if you had room in your landscape, I would say put it in your yard. Um, in ground. Yeah, it's gonna be much easier maintenance. The tree's gonna overall take less care just because the watering, the feeding is gonna be lessened over time.
once they get established, they kind of do their thing. Yeah, yeah, they take care of themselves. How do we get them to that point, though? Uh, from planting to, to fertilization, like, what are you going to do if, if this is for you? You've got a beautiful spot at your home. Just soil prep in the ground. Uh, okay. We sell a camellia zellia uh, soil, which is ideal because it's acidic-based. They do like a, a lower pH, so that takes care of that one step that you kind of have to look forward going to the seasons, and you can use that in ground or in containers. Uh, so I would recommend that. Uh, if Good you to know. Choose a, just a basic planting mix or potting soil. Uh, the use of the appropriate fertilizers will help get that acidity down. So what do you like feeding yours with? Basic uh, camellia zellia food is great. You know the EBS really? organic works really well. Uh, you can use that basically from February through September. Um, They're doing all their actual growing. Yeah, yeah. You just want to fertilize them through the growing season like any other plant. Uh, we do a couple products here that I would recommend. The, the Solpo Mag, which is great for any shade plant. That's the sulfur, uh, iron, magnesium? Or? Uh, potassium, potassium, magnesium. Potassium, magnesium. Uh, but that sulfur is really what helps lower the pH. Uh, the potassium will keep them rooting, keep the roots happy. Um, be great for anything in the shade, like I said. But especially with new plants, it's uh, kind of nice because you're getting that lowering of the pH. You're getting the potassium. It's going to help them root. Um, but that's something you'd want to do quarterly, probably, uh, in addition to your regular fertilizing, say every six, eight weeks. Um, and again, just start that February, go through, you know, probably mid-September, October at latest. At, at time of planting, uh, especially right now, the growing season's kind of coming to an end. Do you fertilize now or do you just wait and just go, hey, do yeah, your thing? Yeah, with any new plant, you're still going to use the starter food. Uh, the addition of that sulpamag wouldn't hurt anything. Uh, but if you're using that acidic-based Camellia zellia soil, you're probably fine till next spring without treating uh, with any type of pH-lowering additive, whether it's sulfur or um, the FST is really nice because it has a lot of sulfur. It has oh, some that's iron what I was thinking of, the FST. FST that's is really good. Iron, sulfur, Maples love the FST. Really? Oh, yeah. Keeps right them greened the up? Yeah. And then it helps with the heat stress. They don't have to worry about winter damage. They're completely cold hardy, so that's not an issue there. Um, in general, it's just time, care, maintenance, the, the basics of all plants. So as long as you're gonna make the investment, take the time to make sure that investment is properly cared for. So Eric, you, you're the one finding these, hunting them down and purchasing them so other people can enjoy them and buy them and bring them home. What are the ones that you love the most? Which ones are standing out to you? Oh, there's so many choices. All of them are awesome. Um, I've been kind of interested the last few years on some of the dwarf ones, um, just because I do most of my stuff in containers. They do better in containers because they're not going to outgrow it as fast. Uh, the lace leaves are always, you know, some of my first choices. Crimson Queen. Yeah, that's a classic. I think one that's kind of a sleeper, maybe not as many people have heard about, is the Orangeola. Um, Really tight, heavy cascading, real fine lace leaf. Uh, hence the name, kind of an orangey yellow fall color. Oh, wow. Which is nice. Uh, but again, from being in the nursery here in the valley and then even seeing them up in Oregon or wherever, very heat tolerant. So it's really? one of the best, yeah. Like two years ago when we had the heat dome in Oregon and like everything was like 114 in Portland, that one held up really well. So just Kind of an interesting little niche factor for that one. I like it. But the, the Mikawa Yatsubusa is another really short dwarf one. Shishigashira is really cool. And those things will stay under six, eight feet 
for the most part. Uh, obviously, long term, they'll get bigger. Uh, that's kind of some unique ones that are off the beaten path, not as uh, classic as like the Crimson Queen you mentioned, yeah. or like a Red Dragon. I love the um, Red Dragons. We are starting to see a few of these new crosses. Uh, they're a Korean type. Pretty interesting. Um, a lot like a Japanese maple, uh, but still have a little bit more of a, not shade tree factor, but can be anywhere from 10 to 20 feet. Ooh, um, for like a mid-sized garden, you know, shading a small area in the garden, they'll take the full sun, no problem. Extremely cold tolerant. What are they labeled as? Are they still under it's, the same? Uh, it's a Korean maple. It's called a Saboldi. I'm going to blow this one. Saboldianum. Uh, but first flame, the initial flush of growth is like bright apricot pink. It's, it's intense. Like stand out, stop the car, take a picture kind of thing. Uh, that's one that we get. There's a final fire, which, you know, fall color is amazing. Holds really well. Small, you know, probably 10, 12 foot tree, max, I mean, maybe 15 if it's really old. Uh, and then we brought in a new one this year, Northwind. Uh, again, very cold hardy, but more in that 15, 20 foot range. Ooh. Uh, so it can be used more as a, a structure tree out in the yard where it doesn't need the protection of, say, a Japanese maple mite. So kind of interesting. So uh, before I leave you though, you are the, the shopper of shoppers. What can we look forward to getting in the near future? What's coming in right now pretty soon that, uh, that I can get excited about? Uh, more maples, of course. Um, it's prime time for shade tree planting. So if you're looking to provide some shade in your landscape, you know, Keith Davies are gonna be great. Those bigger maples like October Glory. Um, there is another maple we'll throw out there, the Pacific Sunset. Again, kind of a mid-size maple for like a 30-foot tree, 25. Okay. Uh, good, big, blocky leaves, takes the heat pretty well. Uh, but nice medium-sized tree, not gonna overpower most of our smaller homes. Um, yeah, I mean, we're gonna be looking at pre-orders for fruit trees and roses. Starting that up. Ooh, when do fruit trees, could the bare root fruit trees? All of those, the roses start first. They'll be mid-December, close to Christmas, and then fruit trees are right at Christmas every year. New Year's is time to start looking for those. I have to get myself a gift. Yeah. <laughs> a nice fruit tree for the home. Eric, thank you so much for making time for us. Anytime, man. I'm glad you got me on again. Well, it's been a while, but uh, yeah, we'll look forward to do it in the future. All right, that was our interview. Big thank you to Eric Plog, our OG guest from way back in the day. The original gardener. Uh, <laughs> so, Kevin, um, uh, what do you think about everything Eric shared with us? Well, this is a topic we're definitely going to have to step our toe back into in the future. Um, I love Japanese maples. There's so much to enjoy about them. And even miniaturizing them and printing them into bone size is another topic I'd love to talk about. They, they're just beautiful. They're simply, they're simply the best. Uh, they're just gorgeous. So give them a shot. Do your research if you can. Um, don't just learn, you know, don't, don't just listen to us, you know, do all you can to learn more because I think once you uh, get a few into your landscape, you're just going to fall in love with them just like I have. And so, uh, man, thank you to Eric. And, and Irene and, and Richard, thank you for being on the show. That was awesome um, having but, them. But yeah, it was very awesome. Thank you so much, everybody, for contributing to this. And uh, that's all we have time for. So take us out, Kevin. I hope everybody is doing really well this week. I wish you all the very best. Go out, garden when you can, grow what you can. 
Love those around you. Go go hug your loved ones and go have some fun this week. And can come right back next week for some more garden adventures with us. I think you're going to love next week's episode. we got a doozy planned for you. Until then, garden friends, happy gardening to each and every one of you. And please, never, ever stop growing. Stop growing.